You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome everyone to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. Uh, We are headed toward Christmas. Uh, got a few days left. This will be the last podcast uh, before the holidays. We'll come back after the holidays with some more interviews. I'm excited about my new role at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, leading and directing the Land Center for Cultural Engagement. So the podcast may change a little bit in the sense of the kinds of guests we have, but probably not too much. Uh, we look forward to having a really great 2022 with some really interesting voices. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, uh, to go ahead and check out my book, The Characters of Christmas. Uh, lots of people have been enjoying it. I've been getting quite a few uh, emails and letters back with people who've read it. Love studying about uh, the, the various people uh, uh, caught up in the story of Jesus and the incarnation. I just love this time of year and uh, hope you can en- enjoy it as well. Go to my website, danieldarling.com, or find The Characters of Christmas anywhere books are sold. Also, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, One Little Word. You can find the links there at my website, danieldarling.com. Okay, today's guest is a great way to cap off 2021. His name is Kenny Luck, and he's the founder and uh, president of Everyman Ministries, uh, which is a great ministry that encourages men to um, fulfill their God-given calling. Uh, he's got a new book out called Failsafe about living in God's acceptance. One of the real truths about uh, a lot of men, even Christian men, is uh, a lot of men are deeply insecure and it really affects their leadership in their home, uh, in the workplace, in the church even. And Kenny sort of gets to the bottom of that with his new book. We also talk a little bit about kind of manhood crisis in the country and what churches and people can do about it. What's the difference between genuine masculinity and sort of toxic masculinity? All that and more we talk about in this conversation. So I hope you're uh, enjoying this Christmas season. Pull up a chair and listen to my conversation with Kenny Luck. Well, I'm glad to have Kenny Luck here on the Way Home Podcast. Kenny, thanks for joining me today all the way from California. Right on. Well, it's great to be with you, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to have you on because I love kind of the thrust of your work and uh, talking about manhood and some of the things that are uh, kind of plaguing men today and how the church can, can kind of step in. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we, we do well to do that. At least the research shows that. So, Kenny, let me talk to me a little bit about um, how you really felt the God calling you to minister to men. You've been leading uh, Every Man Ministry since two thousand, uh, but what was it? You know, so you've been doing this about twenty years. But what was it even twenty years ago that you felt God put a tug on your heart to say, um, "I need to be doing well, this kind of work"? Yeah, I was uh, running a healthcare company. I had started it up with some people, um, and it was going really well, um, but. I remember seeing uh, kind of a feature or a show on human trafficking, and um, that was just uh, kind of an awakening. I never knew 
the scale and scope of it. And, and then I began to think about, wow, not just human trafficking, prostitution, but then I started to think, wow, what, what injustices do we see every day that are rooted in broken male character and culture, where we create the demand, where we're at the center of some of these issues that create so much suffering? And I, I thought, okay, definitely there's human trafficking in the sex trade. There's fatherlessness. There's the orphan epidemic. There's domestic violence. There's some of these things that, you know, when you, when you do the data dive, you see at the root of it is broken male culture. And then I thought, wow, we're, we're putting a lot of energy and effort into raising awareness about these things, rescuing the victims, reintegrating, all of this reacting. But reactions aren't solutions. And, and so I thought, wow, why don't we go to the root? And the root is uh, the character of a man, his self-perception, uh, his identity, the energy that that identity commands, and the expression of that. And I thought, man, uh, if you can change the heart, character, and conduct of a man, give him a new identity in Christ— he'll start making a few more decisions that create a lot of health and blessing for those same people and those groups that uh, are, are, are suffering because of the choices that he is making. And so that, that math, that calculus started percolating in my head. And then it just kind of reached a kind of a catharsis in 2000 where I was in church and um, my pastor said, you know what you need to do. You just got to get off your blessed assurance and do it. And literally from Sunday to Monday, I walked in, fired myself uh, from my job as the CEO of a healthcare company with 460 employees, told the chairman that God was calling me to start an organization that, that, that reached uh, men, that helped them find an identity in Christ so that they could make new decisions and bring God's love and justice to the people that they're connected to. And he's like, oh, okay. And he gave me a 10-month severance, and I invested it in every man, and we started the organization. That's uh, th that's amazing. And you've been doing this uh, for a couple of decades at least. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was just it seems like the conversation around manhood has really changed. Um, I, I think of when I was coming of age in the 90s, there was a lot of uh, really good resources for men. You know, you had promise keepers, you had quite a few other things. Um, it seems like they're, you know, and, and again, this is such a, um, oversimplification and broad brush. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like now the conversations, there's almost a hesitancy among evangelical churches, among pastors to even talk about manhood, uh, for fear of being accused of, you know, toxic, uh, preaching toxic masculinity yeah. for fear of being Misogynism. kind of made yep. misogyny. And, and let's be, Real, there are uh, versions of of the call to to manhood that Christians have subscribed to that are unhealthy, right? But yeah. I feel like the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we actually are not giving men a blueprint for what God has for them and what it looks like to be a man of God. Yeah, the the blueprint is Jesus. I mean, he's Alpha and Omega, and what you see culturally is you see broken Alpha with all strength and no compassion, but then you see the rise of Feminism in response to all the suffering and pain through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because your your listeners, if if they're watching culture, they'll go, well, yeah. I mean, I see it in the news every day. You know, don't give a man strength. 
Because if he gives, if you give a man strength or position or wealth or influence or power, uh, he's just going to abuse it. So um, we see uh, what I call kind of broken alpha, but then that's produced through cultural movements and aggressive feminism, kind of the creation of this other person uh, because of the cultural riptide. And I call him uh, Omega male. And that's a person who has tons of compassion, soft hearted, uh, loving. He's got the heart, but he doesn't have the strength. And when you look at Jesus, uh, you see Alpha and Omega. You see a guy who's sacrificial but servant-oriented. You see a guy who's courageous and he's compassionate. You see a guy who's who's tough enough to go take nails in his hands for you, uh, but he's tender. And and so what culture is looking for, particularly women and children, they're looking at uh, they they need a person who has that quality. That's why Jesus was so attractive, especially to women when he was walking the planet. It's like who is this guy? He breaks the rules to bring love and justice to people that, that don't get it. He defends women. He touches and blesses children when the mentality of his time was, thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a kid. Thank God I'm not one of those Gentiles, you know, in, in the male culture of the first century. And, and then you see Jesus, and he just promptly breaks all of those rules to the point where the disciples are like, what's he doing with her? And why is he letting those guys through? And why is he touching that person? And and so we see Jesus, the man of justice, right? The original, Alpha and Omega, uh, moving in and through his time and his culture, advancing God's love and connecting with people. But today, what you talked about, the whole toxic masculinity thing in the church, uh, the church just needs to rise and talk about Christ. And strength isn't the issue. Jesus was strong. But he had character and compassion and the Holy Spirit guiding his strength. And that's why we see what we see and that's why we love what we love about Christ himself. And that spirit dwells in every Christ-following man. And so we don't need to apologize for strength because strength isn't the issue. Is there character that is spirit-empowered guiding that strength? And that's what the world's looking for and that's what... I'm all about and working toward with men. I like that. And, you know, we're, we're in this kind of climate where we're sort of in this, you know, people are talking about Jesus and John Wayne and they're talking about, you know, Mark Driscoll and, right. you know, the, the, <laughs> I have, I have two thoughts about that. And I'd love to get your thoughts. On the one hand, there is a, there is a rebuke to some of that overly macho culture that to be a man, you have to sort of, 100%. you know, you know, wear camo and hunt deer and all yeah. that stuff. On the other hand, I'm also nervous about, again, an overcorrection. And yeah. that, um, you know, I think of this. I have a son who is um, uh, almost 13. And what are what are boys his age going to get from their fathers and from the church about what does it look like to harness this masculinity and harness the strength that God has given them uh, to serve God? If if we're so shy and tentative about showing men what it looks like that we don't say anything at all. Yeah, that's right. And that's why I keep coming back to Christ. That's why I keep coming back to the Gospels. That's why I keep, you know, you don't need to look any further uh, for a model for masculinity other than Jesus in his time. And it, and it captures all of the things that, that ethos that we're paying billions of dollars to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You got a guy with special power. You got a guy who defends the weak. You got a guy 
who who sticks it to the bad guy. You got a guy who has a heart, and he's willing to love people so much to put himself between the people and the wolf. And and that's all. Where does that come from? Why is there? Why did I have a Batman helmet at three at three years of age? Is because we look at uh, that that type of man who is for justice and is loving, and we go, wow, that's the person that we need in a world that is beset by evil and by injustice and by people who are operating in that evil injustice. We need men to bring justice like Jesus did. So when you read Luke 4, and Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me too. And then you look at what what then he says, set the captive free, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. You know, that's that's the unleashing of a man of justice in his environment by the Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't struggle as dads who follow Christ. We need to model Christ. We need to be full of grace and we need to be full of truth. And uh, we need to have authority and we need to have accountability. And there's uh, that's all modeled in Christ. And so that's why I wrote Dangerous Good, the first book in the trilogy, was about identity and self-perception and how you see yourself. And Jesus was the original man who was dangerous with goodness. You see, it was unequivocal what he was doing. And when culture sees a movement of spirit-empowered men doing unequivocal good, there's no rebuttal. What do you say? Wow, you shouldn't really help out those people. or you, you know. But that's our charge, uh, to be dangerous with goodness in the image and mold of Christ in his time. So we have the same Holy Spirit. God's conforming us to his image. We just need to dial that in and, and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be like Christ? I, I like that. And so you're, you're, we're telling men that it's actually, it's okay to be a man. Like yes. God, God created you to be a man that there's nothing in here. Like not only is there nothing inherently wrong with masculinity, it's a good thing. And it's a God thing. Uh, uh, I love that. Talk, I want to pivot a little bit to some of the topics you specifically addressed in Failsafe, but I do want to first talk, this is something that I've really been thinking about and writing about a lot lately is this idea of the first Adam and the second Adam that yeah. the scripture is so clear about that. On the one hand, I think sometimes we men kind of use the excuse that, well, this is, uh, you know, particularly for, for sin or other things, we say, well, I'm just being human. This is right. just who I am. Or I'm just, this is just what men do, right? Like men just do these things. Um but obviously, Scripture tells us that that's that's actually not natural. That that's uh, right. That's the first Adam, which was corrupted by sin. But we have hope with the second Adam. So talk about that dynamic that you have taught you've taught men for the last few decades, and 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 how that why that's important. Well, I'm glad that the context in which you bring that up is the first Adam and the second Adam, because in Romans five, it's 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 all about that. And in verse nineteen, it says, "Just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience." of the one man, many were made righteous. And so men are in Adam, but men can be in Christ too. Men can be in a garden of pressure like Adam and choose self and create and radiate collateral damage uh, in their world. Or they can be in a garden of pressure like Jesus, say no to self and say yes to God and bring grace and life to many. So when we put it in that context, men are in Adam or men are in Christ, and that, that flesh nature 
the residual hangover in Adam from, from him has the capacity to be the one in charge, or the Spirit of Christ, which the Bible says God pours the Spirit of Christ into our hearts so that we can now actually put up a fight within, we can win self-control uh, through the Holy Spirit, and we can say no to self and yes to God and people. And so, you know, a man who says that to me, where it's just like, well, you know, I'm just human, I'm just a human person, you know, I, I make mistakes. The Bible says, yes, you are, and I normalize that. But God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And he grows us up. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child. Continuous thinking like that, where it's just like, well, I'm just a human person, and we sort of write off a check to that account of I'm just human, uh, negates the whole idea of spiritual formation, of growth, of maturity, of the ability of, of a human being to change. And if you're a Christian, it robs you of the vision that God wants to form in you that says, I want you to become my, like, like my son. And that's the process. And so there is grace. I always normalize imperfection and sin and making mistakes and all of that. But guess what? There's truth too. So does God accept us and affirm us? 100% in Christ. Can't, can't lose his love. The verdict is in. The fight is over. However, God loves us too much to leave us the way we are, where his truth now uh, is responded to because of his grace, and we want to please him because he has forgiven us and he has loved us. And so it's really a spiritual formation issue. It's a biblical literacy issue. It's a discipleship issue. Yeah, it really is. So let's talk about the substance of a lot of your book, uh, Failsafe, Living Secure in God's Acceptance. Uh, I, I just think this is so important, uh, this idea of finding our security and our worth in Christ. And I'm glad you're talking about it. I, I think it seems harder for men to talk about their insecurities, that men actually, they may not verbalize it, they may not show it, they may internalize it, but there's deep insecurities that men have. And I know for myself, you know, these things sort of manifest the more responsibilities you get, right? And particularly right. when you be when you become a father. I mean, like sure. um, nothing sort of exposes your weaknesses and your insufficiencies, <laughs> like being a dad. And I have four kids. Right. We have a we have a full That'll house now. You. My yeah, my oldest is um sixteen. My youngest is uh, almost 10 and it just tests you and it, it, you know, it, it sort of reveals those things. And I think there's a lot of men who walk into our churches who look good on the outside, but inwardly, they're very deeply insecure about their yes. place in the world, about right. their, uh, about their abilities as to be a good husband and father. And, I, and I'm talking about men who care, right? Like right. I'm not talking about men who are deadbeats cause like they're not coming right. into church, but I'm talking about the men who show up on Sunday. The men who are trying to lead their families, who are faithful at work and faithful to their wives, I think down deep, if you were to ask them, they feel like they're not up to the task and that they're probably failing all the time. Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah, you are. Um, I think um, the word security may not resonate deeply uh, to the whole audience, but fear certainly resonates deeply. And we're, we all... We all have that inside. There is a, there's a, there, that we have inner fears that only inner uh, a strong, powerful, permanent inner love can conquer. That's why the apostle Paul prays, you know, in Ephesians chapter three, he's like, "Hey, you know what? This is I I'm praying for you that 
that you'll know the height, the depth, the width, the length uh, of God's love, that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, and that you would be strengthened with power, you know, in your inner person, you know. And and that's really the basis of failsafe, where the human soul is like an air-to-air missile seeking a heat signature. The human soul seeks worth, and that worth can come from one of two places, and each has their own set of consequences and blessings. You can get your worth from God and his love, or you can get your worth outside of you in culturally endorsed ways. And this is epic spiritual warfare, all right? Worth in culturally endorsed ways. In other words, worth through performance, all right? That deepens insecurity and it deepens immaturity. But if you get your worth from a permanent source that's meaningful, the maker of your soul, the creator of the universe, that secures us on the inside. Just think about parenting. And what happens when a child doesn't feel worth in his first community of acceptance, particularly from the dad? If they don't experience that worth through time and talk and touch uh, in their first community of acceptance, they have a question mark over their worth, and then they'll find a second community of acceptance and will perform for it in ways that may not be so healthy just to get the acceptance. And so that's why the title of the book is Failsafe, Living Secure in God's Acceptance, is that it's really designed to, to communicate how the gospel, how God's love secures us inwardly and solves that problem of worth so that we don't have to perform for it in culturally endorsed ways, endorsed ways and have it go from your head to your heart to where you actually experience it. Because I see Christians every day who are followers of Christ. Intellectually, they know about God's love, but they haven't internalized it to the point where it's calming fears inside, and then they live out of the fear and not out of God's love, and they make really poor decisions out of fear. Yeah, I think that's so, that's such a good point. You know, um, uh, I read a couple years ago a great book by the kind of neuroscientist, um, Kurt Thompson, who's a, who's a Christian. I don't know if you've read any of his work, but he's got a book called The Soul of Shame. And uh, he really talks about the yeah. importance of, of being known by God and knowing yes. God and, yes. and how vital that is. And if we understand that, it really shapes yeah. uh, the way we think about life. Well, you're destined to live out your self-perception. That's what neuroscience tells us. It tells us that if you have an embedded pattern of thinking, it's like a rut. And so our thought life kind of creates these neuro... Uh, the, the, these neural ruts that we live out of. And how we think about ourselves is the most important question. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Am I worth something? Does anybody love me? Am I significant? Do I have a contribution to make? And the game changer is you're created by God. You're created for God. And guess what? You are loved by God permanently and unconditionally. And that's really Satan's target. It's like, you know, when uh, evil people steal your identity, they steal your personally identifiable information, your social security number, your, you know, they've got some, some things that if they get that, they win and they take all your money. Satan wants to steal the personally identifiable information of every Christ following person. What is that? It's their self-perception. 
that they're not loved by God perfectly and unconditionally, that the fight is over, that they don't have to perform for their worth at all. And actually, if they really got that and they let it go from their head to their heart in real ways, if they internalize the gospel, that they're fully loved, fully accepted, fully defined by God's love, it would liberate them from these insecurities that they see with their eyes outside in culture and they'd stop trying to use things outside of them to solve the dilemmas within them. Hello friends, I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to, her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel, and it's so good, they brought it over to the United States, and it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash wayhome. That's canopy.us slash wayhome, C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash wayhome. And you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash wayhome and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. I think, too, about the leaders that I've been around in my life. And one of the things I've just really come to strongly believe is that leaders lead out of their insecurities. Many times, and, every, yeah. and so whenever you see a leader who is kind of tyrannical, Yes, um, insecurity. You're treats people right. bad. It's it's deep insecurities. They were wounded at some point, or they never yes. felt like they measure up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm always curious what their relationship with their father was, um, or I see leaders that the opposite end that shrink back and don't step forward. I I also think there's insecurity there, and and I it's interesting to me that when we actually interview for positions or we we evaluate people for leadership positions, we typically. Um, Focus on the moral questions, which are absolutely important, right? Are they faithful to their to their wife and to right, their families? Right. Yeah. But when Paul lists out the temperament qual or uh, the qualities for um, leadership, there's a lot of temperamental things in there that really reflect emotional and and uh, relational health. So talk about uh, a man's security or insecurities and how that plays into the way that he leads. Yeah, leads and relates. I think leadership is a relating thing. If you're a leader, you have people that you relate to. And if you're insecure on the inside, or even as you said, if there are uh, some losses or wounds that have happened in your formation that serve to block you 
from feeling and experiencing God's love and acceptance, um, that's going to get worked out in your relationship. So uh, what our listeners need to know is that if you have insecurities on the inside, those get worked out in your relationships. All relationship stories are inside stories. The The quality of your relationship reflect the sum of the character of the people that are involved. And as men, uh, if, if, for example, um, you know, you uh, were, uh, if, if your father left at an early age, you, you mentioned family systems. So that creates an insecurity in kids because there's, there's an emotional, sexual, spiritual formation that's connected by all the science to the relationship that uh, a daughter or son has with the father. And it's not to exclude the mother. They have a huge part in the, in the formation emotionally of children. But if you, if you grow up and you grow up without a dad and you're not sure about your root, uh, your, your worth, like maybe my father, for example, his dad died of an alcoholic coma when he was 11 and he was bullied when he was a young man, multiple, multiple times. Pearl Harbor happened. He joined the Navy. He got muscles. He got stripes. All of a sudden, he had a family. He belonged. He was accepted. He performed. And because he performed, he was rewarded with stripes and becomes an officer. But guess what? Uh, those stripes and that model of, hey, authority and accountability, and if you perform under authority and accountability, you'll get affirmation and acceptance. That doesn't work in a family. Okay, that's, that's all rules and no relationship. And my dad was horrible at relationships with my mom and, and with the kids. And, and so as men... When we don't have, uh, we're, we're not rooted in, in, in accepted securely on the inside. We'll work out of the fear. And then when we work out of the fear, um, our relationships suffer. You know, when fear entered relationships in the garden, that's when people started pointing fingers at each other. You know, that's when uh, people started becoming distant with each other. People started competing with each other. People try to control each other. And so that's why the Bible's, emphatic that perfect love casts out fear, which means, hey, I'm okay. No matter what happens outside, no matter what you do to me, no matter what my circumstances are, I may be sad about it. I may lament it. I may be disappointed, but I'm fully loved and accepted by the one who matters most. And I'm going to be okay. And I have that permanently and nothing can take that away from me, which is why Paul in Romans 8 is emphatic near the end of the chapter. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to write Romans 8, which is about life in the Spirit and how, you know, we're free. So, you know, in a man's life, if you're not secure on the inside through love, um, you're going to operate out of fear. And when you operate out of fear, you're going to fragment and fracture your relationships. It's it's a 100% guarantee. So talk about how we can help as uh, the church to help guys who are walking into our churches, who are broken this way, who are insecure, how we can restore men. You know, a lot of men grew up, you know, I'm, I grew up with a, with an amazing dad yeah, wow, you're blessed. Who, who gave me so much. And I didn't even realize it till I got older, Tom, you no, know, I'm, they get smarter 43, I'm 43 and I'm like, man, I didn't even appreciate this most of my life, but I realized a lot of men didn't. Um, and they're walking into our churches, they're leading, uh, our institutions, they're, um, 
you know, starting and they're in charge of our businesses and, and, and they're teaching in our school, you know, like, so how do we, as the church help heal men and bring them from, from uh, brokenness to wholeness? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something really simple, but it's really powerful. The personal act of love by Christ is fully sufficient to produce a personal experience of love by Christ. His personal act of love on the cross is sufficient to produce a personal experience of love by Christ. And I say experience because love is experienced. It's not an abstract. It's a relationship. There's reciprocity. I'll give you a good metaphor. So, Medal of Honor winners. When there's a Medal of Honor winner, there's a Medal of Honor survivors. And survivors always say the same thing. They're just like, well, this person stepped in front of a bullet or laid over a grenade so that I could live. That produces something inside of the person who was saved. It gives them a new sense of stewardship, a sense of responsibility. They actually feel the sacrifice. They want to honor the sacrifice. They see it. That's why Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He's saying, I'm going to do the one thing that only I can do so that you can respond to the one thing that I'm doing that should get you to believe that you're loved. And so I, as the church, as a pastor, I'm always trying to bridge the gap from knowing about the love of Christ and what he did to actually seeing it, recognizing it, responding to it in experience. And that, that involves understanding how you perceive and how you filter and internalize acts of kindness on your behalf. And a lot of traumatized people don't know how to respond to an act of kindness. They're just, they don't know how to feel in that environment. Why? Because their feelings were never probed or acknowledged in their home. They had to learn how to do that literally by training themselves like I did to recognize a situation where someone is actually dying for you so that you can experience something great. And and that's why, you know, when we sing songs about the love of God, you know, being so amazing or amazing grace, there's a grace response, there's a love response, and there's a congruency to that. And so when I teach here at Crossline, or when I'm even teaching with men, I want to get them in touch with what Jesus actually did. In fact, sometimes when I share the gospel, I talk about, you know, the seven places where Jesus bled from, just to get it from their head to their heart. That somebody, yeah, they, they bled from their head to cleanse you from things that you think that you shouldn't be thinking. They bled from his hands. To, to cleanse you from, from places where you've taken your hands, maybe where they ought not to have gone. He bled from his feet for, to cleanse you from, you know, and to, to create this sense of, wow, God so loved, he gave. He's been so generous, you know, and how do you feel when someone's generous with you? You're just like, oh my gosh, you can do that for me? There's a chapter in Failsafe where I really lean into that, where I say, you would do that for me? And I talk about doing something for, for my wife, Chrissy, and she says that back to me, like, you would do that for me? You'd be so thoughtful of me that you would do that? That's literally what every believer, 
when looking at the cross, needs to say to themselves, you would do that for me. And pause and reflect on that. That's why we have communion. So that's the way, that's the way I go about helping people see, internalize, recognize, and become emotionally congruent with the gospel. That's really good. Uh, I want to ask you this. You have a section in here in the middle of the book where you talk about the inner man versus the inner boy. Yeah. Um, can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, when you're secure on the inside, you're mature. I tell the story of the little kid on the viral video named Peter, and he's a toddler. He has a plastic golf club. He's one foot from the cup or half a foot, and he hits his little putt. His dad's filming him, and the putt lips out. And what we see is a nuclear temper tantrum. I mean, this little kid flops on the ground. He has a temper tantrum. He's moving his arms back and forth. He's kicking his feet. And uh, it's really funny to watch. It got like millions of views in like a day or two. But we hope little Peter will grow up so that when things happen to him, he won't emotionally melt down like that when he becomes, you know, a man. And the only thing that that brings maturity and security on the inside is, is knowing that you're going to be all right, knowing that you're fully accepted, that it's going to be okay. And that's what God's love does to us. It matures us on the inside. That's why in that chapter I talk about how God's love grows us up. And that's, that's when I mentioned this verse before where Paul just said, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, reasoned like a child, acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You know what chapter that's in? 1 Corinthians 13. It's a chapter on God's love. You know, and so, you know, it's when, when, a, when a child, like we know this in parenting and in family systems as well, in the behavioral health world, you want to see an anxious child? Um, it's a child that didn't get any time, any talk you know, any touch meaningfully and in a healthy way from the grown-ups in their life. They grow up anxious over their worth because all three of those things communicate love, time, talk, and touch. And when you don't have that, you get anxious, and there's a direct correlation between anxiety and immaturity. You make immature decisions when you're anxious. And so love solves that. Yeah, that's really good. So I want to kind of bring it home for pastors, uh, for leaders who are listening, uh, what can we do to help men step into their calling as men? Uh, what are some, I would ask you, what are some good things you've seen really churches doing in this season to help men? And what are some things that are maybe not so helpful? And then I want to circle back around with another question and uh, before we go. Sure. sure. Well, what pastors need to know is that, is that 9 out of 10 guys have an issue in their life that they want to resolve, and most of those issues they want to resolve have to do with relationships that they want to do better. No man wants to get to the end of his life and say, man, I really did a crummy job with my relationships. But the problem is, is that they don't have the character to meet the demands of those relationships, and so we have to help them get the character to meet the demands of relationships. And the only way they can get the character is to have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them and transforming them and bringing them from, from boy to man. That's, that's what's de depressing and frustrating. 
is when you're a 25-year-old, 12-year-old, relationally. A 35-year-old, 13-year-old, relationally. Now, you, you mentioned your own dad, and he gave you so much. You know, but what he gave you was, through his presence and his time and his talk and his touch, he, he gave you a sense of yourself that said, hey, you know what? You're loved. And because, because you're loved and you're okay and you really believe it, because I love you, you're free to relate to and serve other people without thinking about yourself. And right. so it's, 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 that's why this issue, so like even at Crossline, you know, we have a discipleship ecosystem for men. It's called get in, get healthy, get strong, get going. And in the get healthy part of it, we look at some of those qualities that are required for leadership and we see the exact felt needs that we need to address as pastors. Manages the family well, that's relationships. Husband of one wife, that's relationships, right? Not given to much wine, that's moral temptation and impulse control, you know? And then we, we add the topic of friendships around that, and that's our get healthy module. Intimacy, temptation, friendships, and family. And we, we help him win in the areas that, that, that he feels most deeply. And when a man is successful there and transforms... You know, that's the, the felt need. But not only that, Pastor, you're also creating a leader as you help the guys get wins in the main domains of their life. So we kind of kill two birds with one stone with our discipleship ecosystem. Those are things guys want to win in. And the Bible says that's what makes a good leader. Last question. Um, if you're talking specifically to pastors and yeah. ways that they can disciple men and even preach to men, uh, you know, when they're preaching, thinking about men, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would point them to Jesus. That's why I wrote the Dangerous Good uh, trilogy. And I started off with Dangerous Good because you need to point him to Christ. At the outset of this conversation, we were talking about masculinity and what is a man. Well, Jesus defined what it was to be a man. He chose to come to earth as a man. And he chose to relate to people as a man, to the point where, you know, he was right in there in, in strong male culture, but he was doing it in a different way. So you just need to talk about Jesus and working out what God has worked in and becoming like him. That's your model. So we don't need to, to look to culture or to a drum to beat or a chest to pound. We just need to look at Jesus because he was everything we want to be. That's number one. Secondly, pastor, guys love clarity. If a man shows up in your congregation, he might give you one try, two tries, but you know what he's saying to himself, but he's not going to say it out loud. He's like, now that you got me, what are you going to do with me? Men love clarity. They like to know where you're taking them. And if you don't have an idea of that when it comes to men, they'll just be a Sunday attender and won't get involved because you don't have a plan for him. But at Crossline, like at our, we know that. We understand he's asking that subconscious question. And so we say, Hey, if you're a guy, we want you to get in. We want you to get into a relationship with God and with other dudes. We want you to get healthy in your family, in your marriage, in your heart, in your character. We want you to get strong in God. And we want you to get going into influence because you're made by God and for God. Here's a fingerprint that you got to leave before you go back to God. And we want to help you do it. So we are very clear and uh, in, that, in our ecosystem. And so... If they need help with that, go to everymanministries.com. That's what we do. We have an ecosystem of resources and helps and books and strategy and 
just to help you get a men's culture going that the women will love. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. Well, uh, you're doing such great work, uh, Kenny Luck, and I love uh, the resources you're providing. This book here, Fail Safe, Living Secure in God's Acceptance, we'll have links to it in the show notes. Uh, Kenny, thanks for joining me for a few moments just to, to really give some encouragement to men. Yeah, you got it, Daniel. God bless. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash danielmdarling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.